Hi there, Chris here. Just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying these shows, there are two ways you can support the Long War interviews. First, go to the show notes and check out the organizations that the guests recommend. If you're able, please donate some time or money to these groups. They're doing important work. Second, if you're interested in hearing stories about my time overseas, pick up a copy of my memoir, Chasing Alexander, A Marine's Journey Across Iraq and Afghanistan. It was a book life reviews editor's pick, and they say, quote, with grit and sincerity, Martin will have readers who appreciate action-packed war stories and history marveling at this truly enjoyable memoir, end quote. If that sounds interesting to you, you can order a copy at any online retailer. Thanks again for listening. Hi everyone, Chris here, and welcome to our first official episode. I was supposed to start this project last year, but COVID screwed everything up. I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels that way. Anyways, I'm back on track and have a great guest for our first episode. Travis Weiner and I sat down to talk about 101st Airborne, how it feels before you deploy or redeploy, and what makes a good military leader. Let's begin. So I'm uh, Travis Weiner. I'm from uh, Massachusetts originally. I was born in Worcester, Massachusetts, and I uh, grew up in uh, East Central Massachusetts. And then enlisted right out of high school. I joined the Army. And I joined because kind of an idealist, you know, I became kind of obsessed about the military when I was a kid and just always wanted to join, you know. Sure. I found when I was in and through knowing other vets that there's for the minority, but there are some folks that don't join for, you know, like straight for money for college or because their, you know, parents did, like my buddy, you know, Tommy, mm-hmm. his dad, his dad, or, you know, because I, you know, it was my only, you know, path out of a shitty situation. It was more just pure idealism. You know, I thought, you know, I could do the most, I could do some serious good and be a part of something greater than myself and test myself and, you know, yeah. those kind of reasons. I think, yeah. I think that's a lot of people, you know? you know, you definitely hear people be like, yeah, you know, I joined because I needed money for college, but I feel like that's more like a recruiter kind of line, you know? Yeah. Most people, at least most of the guys I was with are pretty idealistic. Like, you know, they think it's an aspirational thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And even, and even ones that maybe didn't at first, it, they'll adopt that, you know, I think. I've yeah. seen that too. So what, um, what year did you enlist? 2004. Okay. I, enlisted in the, I enlisted in the spring, uh, right around, I think, before I graduated. And then I, but I didn't ship out for basic until the fall. So just, just for like historical context, Obviously, a couple of years after 9-11, the invasion of Afghanistan. Invasion of Iraq was spring 2003, like March, April. Shit was really starting to fall apart by 2004. So the first battle of Fallujah was spring 04. And then the second one was November, because it was right after Bush was reelected. Yeah. And I feel like that was really like the, the second part of the war really kicked off. So like right around probably when you were in basic training, MOS school, like that was kind of like getting a lot more serious than maybe when you were first talking to a recruiter. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember in an infantry school, our commanding officer came in and gave talk about what had happened during, I think the, the I think it was the second battle of Fallujah, but 
something had, you know, made the news about, you know, civilians being killed in the house. And I remember him just talking about, you know, screw the media never listen to this stuff and they're doing what they have to do. I remember him giving us that talk in the fall. <clears throat> when you got to your unit or even when you're in, you know, infantry school, do most of your like NCOs, did they have combat experience or were they kind of like that post Gulf war, but like pre Iraq war period? Yeah. Yeah. A lot didn't. Uh, I remember some of the, some of the senior ones had Gulf war, but it was, I think it was early enough where some definitely didn't. I remember a couple of the more, of the more psychotic ones were combat vets in the initial invasion, but, but, but a lot weren't. I remember one of the coolest drill sergeants we had, a new guy who really took the time to, you know, he knew that he had to be tough and he'd be tough, but he really kind of just, you know, talked to us kind of no bullshit on the back end, especially as we were getting closer to graduation. He was a recent combat vet from, uh, I think he deployed in Afghanistan with the 101st, but a lot, plenty weren't. I mean, plenty definitely weren't. And, and, you know, part of it, I guess, you know, I don't know how much an individual drill instructor has over training, but part of, I mean, add all that up I mean there's still you know we were still doing World War II era battle drills and you know they were just they were just trying to start to figure out how do you train you know to look for IEDs how do you train for urban combat you know all that so but but yeah yeah no I hear you man when I mean the like most combat specific training we did in boot camp and this was summer of 2007 but like it was low crawling under barbed wire, you know, yeah. it's like reenacting yeah, yeah. Pacific beach landings, like not mm-hmm. applicable at all. And then even in the uh, school of infantry for us, like all, all our instructors were just like salty freaks from Fallujah, Ramadi, like initial invasion kind of guys, you know, it's like, you know, enough time they like enlisted, like post 2001 did like three tours through Iraq and then like needed to cool off a little bit. So like, yeah, yeah. We would do like all the, you know, like the on paper training, like, you know, gun drills, like this is a 203, this is how you throw a grenade, you know, whatever. So you, you know, you clear saw, whatever. But then they'd be like, okay, like time to do room clearing drills. And just like, we had like my lead infantry instructor, this guy, Sergeant Champagner, she had like wild PTSD, you know, like he's like constantly twitching, couldn't sit still, always looking around. And yeah. he, would, he would just keep us up to like two in the morning, like running upstairs doing room clearing drills for like six hours at a time every night. Like, he's like, I've been to Fallujah a bunch. Like, this is all that you need to do. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, yeah. that like difference between, you know, the like the guys who were, I don't know, staff sergeants and above, like, you know, not really front lines guys for the invasion. And then the younger guys that, you know, trained us and like, or even you're part of that group, I would say, you know, just like yeah. such a different mentality, like uh, a weird case of like the old breed being like the softer ones and the guys that are like your yeah. age and, you know, that, that time frame were like the real, you know, shit kickers. Yeah. 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 Well, it was, it was an interesting mix. I mean, it was also around the time when I joined where they were, they were just realizing like, holy shit, you know, we need a lot more people we're going to be here longer. And so they yeah. really started to, to lower the bar. And so, you know, I was in basic with some guys that should never have been let into the <laughs> military and should never have been allowed to graduate. I mean, it's just insane, you know, but they needed, I, I remember like, you know, the, the, the overhearing like some secondhand stuff from the drill sergeants and just talking about 
how the pressure was rolling downhill to fucking graduate bodies, yeah. you know, and, and to get numbers up and how, you know, mad they were because, you know, senior officers and all, you know, senior NCOs up there, they, they have no idea, you know, what's actually going on, who these, you know, people are. And again, right. I mean, it results in you serving with people you never should be next to, you know, so. Yep. Yeah. ASVAB waivers, you know, criminal, criminal waivers. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Just, just, I mean, you know, raging addicts and you know psychopaths and and yeah. you know that's part of the reason i mean you know the guy in my sector my first tour our first battalion to our southeast that was where that guy stephen green you know raped that girl killed that family burned the house down blew the sector up you know made the international news and it, it literally blew our entire area of operations up because it it you know the population and the you know got them to the insurgent side and of course you know i mean and, and again right i mean that you can trace a direct line to like letting him in a guy like that in and he had you know history and this is all documented and books on him and what happened yeah yeah and that was this is what the like counterinsurgency handbook that came out with when petraeus took over it's like 2007 ish and like yeah. one of one of the big points was like you know first do no harm, like the medical, you know, proverb. So I, like, if you go out, if you, you know, burn down, you're killing civilians, you know, you rape a girl, like, of course, everyone's going to turn on you. It's like a no brainer. Like and any one of us would do the same thing if it happened to one of our neighbors or a family member, like just, yeah, that's yeah. clearly the problem with like letting in, you know, criminals and stuff like that. Yeah. Jobs. Yeah. I mean, I will also say this about though, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, brilliant guy, obviously, probably saved some lives on both ends with his approach. But, you know, bottom line is a guy like that, you know, never had to walk, you know, patrol after patrol, day after day as a line lieutenant, getting blown up, getting his guys blown up and adhering to his rigid coin, you know, do no harm philosophy. So, I mean, and I'll say that about him, right? It's like, because it's like, you know, it's, it's easy to... To, to say it, you know, and again, like I, he, he's not wrong. The, the my thing's always just been like, you know, it's so hard. Like, what is harder than, you know, applying his coin principles and winning hearts and minds while you're getting blown up, while you can't figure out who's an insurgent and who's a civilian, mm-hmm. and so that kind of gets, you know, to me feeling like, you know, people, you know, him and above, like seriously betrayed all of us by putting us in that situation to begin with when it didn't have to be. You know? Yeah, for sure. But yeah. I remember like being a boot and they're like, you know, positive identification. You had like have to have eyes on someone shooting at you. And like, man, that that's not a real thing. Like you you can like tell you're getting shot at, you know, from a building or like from this tree line, but like that, you know, this idea that like a lot of off you know, I'll, I'll say it's officers are just like, you need to see someone standing there with an AK and like that's not yeah. a thing no one no one does yeah. that those, those guys died a long time ago yeah yeah exactly and a line lieutenant's not gonna you know not gonna say that. i mean you're never gonna you know like i said you hardly you know depending on your ao right it's like you when when can you when, it's so rare to get eyes on yeah an actual enemy fighter firing you know a vast minority of guys that you know saw any combat over there i would say would say that right i mean for sure you know let's circle back a little bit so you know you graduate high school you enlist go to basic training go 
go to infantry school. And then what yeah. happens? So then I got signed to the 101st. I got to go home for, I can't remember the name of the stupid program, but it was funny. I got to go home to do like to help the recruiter for like two or three weeks. Oh, it was yeah, like extended yeah. leave, but I got to help the recruiter. And I remember this, right? Because my recruiter piece of shit that he was, was, I mean, piece of shit, but I was a naive idiot, right? Cause he was a cook and he's talking all about, you know, what, you know, the infantry is going to be like deployment, blah, blah, blah. And he has no idea what he's talking about. And then I go, I remember I went back and he's all, you know, acting all strict and everything. And even then, even then I was just like, well, I have a blue infantry cord and you don't. So I don't really give a fuck what you have to say. But uh, yeah, so I, I did that. And then, and then I went, moved out there. When did I get to my unit? I think like March of 04 or March of 05. And then, and then we quickly, quickly went down to uh, JRTC at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Did a bunch of train down there. And um, what's, what's JRTC? Uh, JRTC is this huge, it's like one of the main army I think you guys have one in California in the desert, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's like our East Coast version. So it's like a okay. huge, it's like half of the base is training for, you know, combat operations and these huge, you know, like you go into like a week-long simulation, all that. And yeah. So we did that and then, you know, came back and, you know, trained some more. And then we deployed, I think, in October that year. So Yeah. That's, I mean, everyone had pretty like fast and furious off tempos for like. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Nine to twelve months off, and you know, back on and off and on, and so yeah, yeah. I so our our like pre-deployment training out in California is at uh, Twenty Nine Palms. It's like in the Mojave Desert, yeah. and they they've like built this huge fake city out of like shipping containers and hired a bunch yeah. of like Arabic speakers to walk around, and so they'd be like, you know, you're like on patrol, you know, notionally on patrol, like past a wedding, and an IED goes off, and like, you know, it's pandemonium, and like. It was good training, but like, is that, is that what you guys were doing? Were you doing more conventional stuff or? Yeah. Yeah. They, they had, I think, I think I, I've heard that you guys have it a little more, a little more realistic. Like we were doing some of that, but it was also like some woodland stuff mixed in with some, some mount stuff. So like running convoys, mm-hmm. doing patrols, doing, doing like air assaults on, on villages. I just, I just remember meeting you. I'm so new. And I'm just, you're just like running around, you know, just have like no idea what's going on, you know, <laughs> trying, to, trying to keep up, you know, just having uh, NCOs yell at you all the time and just, uh, man, yeah, I remember that. I like, I like lost like some batteries to my night vision. So I spent mm-hmm. like a week with like everything tied down to myself, like all my, equi- I was like, I was like a trapeze artist. Oh and, yeah. Uh, just like yeah. take parachute cord and like tie it to your yeah. body. Yeah. 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 Oh, I couldn't. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, I just, I just remember how, I mean, one way it was good training is like, you know, we'd go on these, I mean, it's like the summer in Louisiana, right? And we'd go on these like air assaults and guys were just like passing out from lack of water. You just can't drink enough water. Yeah. The one thing I remember is we went to, we went to, at the end, we got to go to this like park and we had this huge crawfish boil and I'd never had crawfish before, but the guys from the South were like killing it. And all the, all the rest of us would like ruin a crawfish. We'd break it wrong. And then we'd like break another wrong. You get like one crawfish per tent. <laughs> and we and we threw the captain and the lieutenant in the lake. I remember that. Nice. Yeah. So so when you say air assault, are you talking like rushing out of a helicopter or like how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So that's just, like what the hundred uh, first yeah. does, but I don't really know yeah. like what it is. Air mobile, basically. Yeah, it's just it's just usually Blackhawk. Sometimes sometimes a Chinook. You just hit a you know usually like if you want to hit a house or a village, you you know just land right outside it. 
or hover right outside it, you know, jump in and, and, and go off and then have them pick you up on the, on the way out. We just dance is what we call it. Okay. Yeah. Do you like a yeah. lot of like fast roping out of the helos or? We did, we didn't do too much. It's funny. It's, it's one of the many things that are just really funny and stupid and ridiculous about the regular army, the regular military. Like I remember, so, so we all go to air assault school where you learn how to do that, but they're mm-hmm. so, they were so like risk averse to it. Like I, they, they were basically just like, you only, you had to be like, yeah, it was a special team and specially qualified because it's really dangerous. I'm like, we're all getting our limbs blown off and <laughs> you're worried someone's going to fall down on a rope. Some people said it was like the Black Hawk Down effect because the one guy in sure. the Italian fell off the rope. But yeah, I mean, we go to this, we go, we all go to the school where we do it. We learn how to repel, we, we, you know, we learn how to go down the rope. But the vast majority of the time, we'll ju- the, the bird won't get, go like completely down. It'll just hover and we'll just jump down. And they say it's because like, if, unless you're landing, I guess, usually unless you're landing on a rooftop, or unless you need to land on like a street corner where it's necessary, there's no reason to do it in like a farm field, basically. But sure. yeah. Nothing. I mean, I've, I've never jumped out of a helo. They always landed for us. Yeah. You know, not, not that high speed, but like jumped out of the back of plenty of seven tons, you know, five tons. And like, you know, you've got flak jacket, helmet, water, ammo, like backpack full of gear. You know, you've got like yeah. 50 to 70 pounds of stuff. And like jumping from a couple feet up is also like one it sucks for your knees, but two like oh, yeah. the the number of people who just completely eat shit when they hit the ground is is always so funny. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I I mean, my first deployment, I had these memories of, you know, I mean, it's just so stupid. Like we land in these, you know, we hit these um, targets, and we land in these like farm fields, right? But mm-hmm. they're all, we were, it was irrigated off the Euphrates. So they're all muddy as fuck. And so we just land yeah. in front of and like the two 40 gunners are just like, I mean, <laughs> if, if they, lucky we weren't fighting the Germans. Like they just fucking massacred us. Cause like two 40 gunners are literally just like turtles, you know, they're yeah. ammo bears. Like, you, know, you know, we're just like, you know, it's just ridiculous. It was just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But, so but. your first deployment, where, where were you? So we were, I guess it was technically the Baghdad area of operations, but like we think about it like a county. We weren't in the city. We were mm-hmm. on the outskirts of Baghdad. We were southwest Baghdad province in a rural area called the, well, basically the Euphrates River Valley. Mm-hmm. And the, the like Yusufia, Mamadia, Latafia, like going, if you go like west from Baghdad, like maybe like 30 miles from, start to hit the Euphrates, mm-hmm. all the Euphrates down southeast, you're hitting these river villages. So our second battalion was around uh, Yusufia, Mamadia, and then as you kept going down to Skanderia is like more directly south of, I think, Baghdad. So rural farm village area mm-hmm. near the Euphrates. Yeah. You know, fun fact, Iskandaria founded by Alexander the Great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. So uh, that right. one, Kandahar, Alexandria, yep. Egypt, a whole bunch of them. They couldn't conquer it and neither could we. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for good. Yeah. So I was in Ramadi, like a little ways down the Euphrates there to the West. And like, it definitely is just like an agricultural country. You know, like yeah. obviously Iraq has a lot of oil, but like, I mean, you know, there are a couple of big cities, Basra, Baghdad, Mosul, Taji, I guess, but definitely like a farming country, which I didn't really realize at the time. Yeah. You know, it's like a lot of farms, but it's also like 
black asphalt highways with like streetlights illuminating it. It was like a weird mix of like, I don't know, like a hundred years ago in the United States with like modern amenities, you know, high rise apartment buildings with air conditioners. Sure. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember that. Uh, I remember that too. I mean, it was so, yeah, I, I remember how fun, how strange it was because in our area it was like pretty poor, you know, if, if a house had, you know, full, you know, regular electricity running water, it was like, you know, fucking mansion. Mm-hmm. But everyone had a cell phone, even back in 2006, seven, everyone had a cell phone. You know, For sure. Like a dirt shack with a cell phone <laughs> that played movies, you know? Yeah. But. And I mean, maybe you remember this too. Like, I feel like everyone had a cell phone and everyone had like a little tin full of SIM cards. Maybe like, yeah. like, <laughs> like yeah. I, have, I have one phone, but I have like six phone numbers. You yeah, know? yeah. Family, and, business, and, like my mistress, you know, all kinds of stuff. And DVDs to sell you that don't work. <laughs> I remember um, the, uh, remember you'd get the DVD at the, at the market and it's like some guy like filming it, you know, at the movie theater. And it was like, it could be like bad quality, could be good quality. And you're, and you're watching it and you got like a good quality one. It's almost cinematic quality, like amazing. And then right before it ends, like the guy knocks the camera over or somebody <laughs> finds him in the theater or something, you know, <laughs> like, no, <laughs> I, uh, it was the Wolverine movie. I think it was called Logan. Yeah. Like the one where it's like yeah. him and Sabretooth fighting over time. We Yeah, yeah. So we like bought a bootleg one, you know, at a souk, like in a market. But it was the like non-CGI one. So it's like yeah. people from strings on a green screen. Like I have no idea where they got the copy of this movie from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like Hugh Jackman, like flying through the air in front of a green screen. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. All right, let's see. So... Your first appointment, you just like a rifleman where you saw a gunner, you know, team leader. What, yeah. what were you doing for the most part? I was a, I was a saw gunner for the, for the first deployment. Nice. Yeah. 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 It definitely sucks to hump around a saw, but they're a ton of fun to shoot. They are. Yeah. They, I, I remember we would do these night raids where it'd be like raining and I didn't even, have, I remember I didn't have a fucking pendle yet for the turret. And I was just like, <laughs> so you're just freehanding it the whole time. And he's like, deal with it. He's like, put your put your uh, pistol grip in there. I'm like, it's gonna break off. And so like, I'm in there and the turret. It's raining, and this is early in the deployment before we knew the AO. There's like a car rushing at us. He's like, shoot, shoot, you fucking idiot, could be me. But I I can like I, I can like barely hang on. It's fucking raining, and I'm trying as hard as I can. And I just like shooting fucking tracers left. I can't. I like can't even. I can't hit the car. I'm like trying to fire a warning shot. I'm fucking firing into the tree line. It's fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah. The escalation of force, like, so I guess oh five was it like pretty settled then? There's like, you like wave a flag, shoot a shoot a flare. Like, was it standardized at that point, or was it still just kind of like, oh shit, there's a car coming? I mean, it was where where we were at. Man, sometimes I wonder if it differed by the unit, right? I mean, it was so we were spread so thin that i feel like individual ncos had just so much discretion you know so like mm-hmm. our first week or two we were we were ripping with this national guard unit and this is like a great you know story of the war too right it's like on the one hand right it's not i, I get it right it's not fair to ask a bunch of guys from georgia to join the fucking national guard to do a mm-hmm. combat deployment in iraq and they've been they've been cut up and yeah. they're they literally just like, once they started getting hit, they like hunkered down. On the other hand, they did not handle their area well. And so we were ripping out with them. We would like, I remember we like went and we like took over this, this like 
uh, pop up like checkpoint. What it was just it was just a couple Humvees just yeah. guarding a couple canal roads, right? And we got told they know, like the locals know that they can't drive down this road. They can drive down this road. And it's like, okay, how, how the fuck do you know that? And there's no signs or anything. And so I remember it's like my first week in sector. What we would do is, you know, if a car drove down the road it wasn't supposed to be at, you know, our, you know, like the sergeant would pop off a couple warning shots with the M14. Mm-hmm. And usually it worked. And then, and then, you know, a few days later, this car's just like driving down, pop off a couple warning shots, just keeps driving down. It, it was not headed to, to us. So it's, there's basically like, I don't know, like 50 yards between our road and the canal road. So it's going that way. It's not headed towards the patrol. I mean, it's headed towards the patrol base, but it's not, you can't get there. But we're still not allowed to let him through. So my sergeant's like, light him up. And I think the only reason I didn't hit him was because my buddy saw was in the turret and it had the optic. And I was used to iron sights. Mm-hmm. And I never, I never fucked with an M145 on a saw, that little scope thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was aiming to hit him. I missed. I definitely must have came close because as soon as I fired a couple bursts, they slammed on their brakes, go all the way in reverse. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm I'm lucky, right? Because what are the chances those are two insert? I mean, it wasn't a fucking V bid because they couldn't have got us. It's just like a tiny, tiny example of the idiocy, the insanity, and the stupidity of, of everything we were doing over there, every mm-hmm. fucking thing we we're doing. You know what I mean? Because it's like, what happens? Like, I didn't hit him. Great. Now, but their fucking family confused, probably a confused family, scared shitless, right? Sure. Hates us now. And that's best case. Worst case, I kill them. And now I just made their entire family are just going to be like, well, I'm going to be suicide bombers now, you know? Yeah. And, and again, it's just because it's stupid intel and bad info that we had. And, no, and how, what can we, what can we do? You know, mm-hmm. I remember that. I think too, like the, like pre-surge days too, you know, the, when they still had the whole idea of the light footprint. So like you're replacing a national guard unit and like you say, you're spread super thin and like, that's what they, that was the strategy. That was the plan. Yeah. And like, I'm sure it was like, you know, it's probably pretty cool to be like, you know, a 21 year old corporal or like a 23 year old sergeant. And like, you're kind of like the king of a neighborhood, but like that shouldn't, it's not how it should be. And like, there should be more, more guidance and like, be like, this is what we're trying to do instead of just like throwing, you know, a squad into like a hopeless situation like that where you're like, maybe they're bad guys, maybe they're not, no one really knows, like, they don't know what we're doing, you know, it's just an impossible situation for everybody. Yeah, yeah, it is, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you know, right, you got, you know, a lot of officers, senior NCOs that are doing their time, right, they know it's bullshit, they'll never admit it, but they want, you know, the deployment under their belt, they want the promotion, Mm -hmm. whatever, and it's, but, man, I mean, on, on my deployment, by the end, can't think anyone I knew that was like, we did good here. Like it's, it was sure. worth it. You know what I mean? Like it was worth it, you know? Yeah. Did you guys have upper armored Humvees by that point? Or was it still like putting sandbags on the floor? No, no. We, we, we had just started to get them. They were, they were like first generation, like crude. Mm-hmm. And they, it, it was, it was such that like a big enough ID would still obliterate like at like one five fives, you know, strung together, yeah. uh, obviously. But it could protect against like a smaller one so that guys would get injured for sure, you know, concussed, you know, ears, whatnot, but it would, you know, they wouldn't die. But yeah, yeah, the door, yeah, I remember the doors were like 5,000 pounds. Yeah. 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 
guzzled fuel. Yeah, guzzled fuel. I remember we like rolled up one time and like kind of parked on the side of the road, but it was like a raised shoulder. So the whole Humvee is yeah. tilted, I don't know, just a couple of degrees, but enough that like the guy to my, I'm in the back seat on the left and like I open the door and it just flies open. Like, you know, this hundreds of pounds yeah. door, like rips me out of the Humvee. The guy on yeah. the other side can't get out. He's like inside, like <laughs> trying to like push the whole thing up above his head. And he's like, I can't get the door yeah, open. Yeah. Oh God. The way they would get stuck in the, in the rainy season, they would get stuck all the fucking the t- amount of time we spent digging them out, you know? I mean, we're just, we're just like destroying this village road, you know, like what, what the fuck are we doing? Like, yeah. 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 So I guess you said you were there like October of 05 and like, so how long, how long was your first appointment? It was, it was, it was 12 or 13 months, same as the second. Okay. Yeah. That's, so do you, cause like in the Marines, we had shorter, it's like seven months, typical rotation was like seven months on seven months off, like real rapid turnover. You guys are doing longer pumps. Did you get that like two weeks of R&R time in the middle or was that just like from more like a office worker kind of thing? They, they scattered it. So they staggered it. So I think like some guys got like, I don't know, I can't remember if it like came in priority, but you, some guys got to like choose. You could like try, if it was available, you could pick like, I want to go on my, you know, two weeks leave, like towards the beginning, towards mm-hmm. the end. I remember mine was right in the middle, but yeah, yeah, you get, I think you get like two, two and a half weeks with, with travel time to go home. Did you just yeah. like go back to Massachusetts or what'd you do? Yeah. I, uh, Jesus, what did I do the first time I, I did go back, you know, obviously like went out, partied. I remember my dad <laughs> was late driving me to the airport on my way back. And he, I thought we thought we were going to miss my flight. I was like, dad, you're going to get me UCM Jade. I was like, if you want to do it, I mean, if you want to do it on purpose. You want to send me to Canada, you know? Just do it, but, but yeah, yeah. I remember my second leave a little better uh, than my first, but you know, obviously a lot of drinking and, you know, carrying on. I, at least, you know, the deployments I did, like you go home on pre-deployment leave and like, I feel like it's a lot of running around trying to see everybody, you know, cause you're like, you know, gotta see all my friends. Like, I don't want to leave someone hanging, like have some family time, a lot of drinking. And by the time, like it's time to leave, I'm just like, man, I'm sick of this. Like, I just want to go, like, I want to go hang out with my friends. Like I'm ready, you know, I'm ready to go deploy, but like yeah. the idea of like, you're going home by yourself and then being like, now nah, I have to go back to a deployment. So it sounds like a whole different kind of ball game is like psychologically, like, I assume it's harder, but like, what, you know, do you remember it being like different or similar? And you know, what do you think? I mean, I remember the, the first year was, was worse than the second. And I just remember the yeah, I remember the first one, it was like, I mean, literally the thought is like, you know, going voluntarily going back. Right. You know, I think it was, it's kind of like analogous to, you know, some guys that kind of quit, you know, fake a mental health issue, you know, quit. It's like bottom line, right? It's a machine. You can't stop it. And the guy next to you can't stop it. And so if you quit, that just means the guy next to you has to pull t- two times, you know, twice the yeah. missions, twice the guard duty. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't do that to you. So, but, and that, you know, it's just like a cliche, right? But that's really it. I mean, fucking, I bet that others felt similarly, right? It's like, you're not going back because you're like, I got to go back and finish the job. Like what fucking job? No, what are we doing? No. You know? 
Yeah. You know, and you're going, you're going back because you, you know, you don't leave your buddy like that, mm-hmm. you know, just how they get, that's how they get us to, to do it. You know, it's just like, but yeah, I, I remember that feel. I, I, I vaguely remember that feeling of like the last day of leave or something, the last couple of days and just being like mm-hmm. such a mix of emotions. Right. Cause on the one hand, you're like, you know, you're going back, but it's just like, God, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, like I, I really don't want to, like, I just, I mean, it just, you know, especially if it was, you know, middle towards the earlier part, cause you know, you got, you know, six more months or whatever. So, right. but uh, yeah. Yeah. I gotta say all like, I think a lot of people assume, you know, like the worst parts of deployments is like getting shot at, getting blown up. And I'm not saying that's a good part, but yeah. it's, it can be better than standing post. You know, you stand post for like 12 hours in a row, you're exhausted. Like yeah. you haven't, you know, you haven't slept in a couple of days. You're hungry. Yeah. You're just like, yeah. I haven't taken a shower in a week. You know, the, 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 the boredom. I mean, I mean, you know, you remember when you're like, you start to hate each other because you know everything that's ever happened in your entire life. You've heard every story a million times. You know yep. everything about everyone because there's you talked you talked everything to death because you're fucking you know you're standing guard on post all the time and it's just like mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah yeah. I remember My, I remember like walking around at night you know like getting on or off post and like seeing like you could hear someone walking and know who it is. Cause like, you know what the sound that everyone's footsteps make, like yeah. <laughs> yep. just been hanging mm-hmm. out with like the same 15 people 24 seven yep. for months. Yeah. It really separated too. I mean, man, we had the dichotomy between some of our best NCOs and some of our worst NCOs. I mean, you know, from like the lazy sadistic pieces of shit NCOs, mm-hmm. Yeah. To, 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 to like the best. I mean, just, just the absolute best. I mean, people that, you know, kept me alive. I mean, literally. And, and like our Lieutenant, you know, one of my like favorite all-time people officers, like literally brand new Lieutenant. He like, you know, the third time he got blown up, he took point for me because I was bitching about going on patrol and, and we just come off a, like an OP and you know, and then I remember this, I was like arguing with him. He's like, I'm the lieutenant. If I want to do your, if I want to take your spot in patrol, I'm going to take it. You get in the turret, you know? And this is just kind of guy, you know, guy was. And he used to tell like our first sergeant was fucking piece of shit. And, you know, most new lieutenants are scared shitless of first sergeants, but he wasn't. He'd be like, nope, my guys aren't doing that. They're not doing it. That's, that's super um, rare. Yeah, 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 he was. He was. Yeah. The like good NCOs, bad NCOs, because the military is a weird place where like, you know, there, there's this idea in America that the states are the laboratories of democracy. Like every state does it a little bit different. You can kind of see what works, what doesn't. And like the military yeah. is like that for leadership. You know, like every squad, every fire team, like you know, team leaders, squad leaders, some are good, some are average, some are bad. Yeah. And like, but you can see all of that. And like, you do see inspired leadership. And like you said, you do see just absolutely sadistic people who should never be in charge of another person for the rest of their life. Because yep. like they just take glee in like abusing people. Yep. What yep. what do you do you have like I don't know, maybe some examples of like really good leadership or like you know, maybe a story about that and maybe one about bad leadership. Yeah, I mean, I mean the lieutenant's a great example. Like that, 
Mm -hmm. fact that he yeah. would, you know, when we had, we would rotate out, platoons would rotate out of this house over this canal and run checkpoints on either side of it and run patrols out of the house. And the NCOs would, would not pull guard ships. You know, they just, they just take turn and sergeant of the guard. And, and we were all doing, you know, 50, 50 or, or, you know, 75, 25. And the Lieutenant would, though. He, he would just, he just would. And, and, you know, similar to that, you know, like I said, he would take point on patrol. He, he literally, I mean, it's such a basic thing of leadership that, you know, a bunch of them, you know, seem to have forgotten and just, you know, just literally if, if, if they could get away with it, right. They were going to take less on, you know, and that's like the opposite of what you're supposed to do as a leader. You're supposed to do more. You're supposed to show that you can do everything that the lower guy can do, could, you know? Yeah. And my, my first team leader, he was a guy that used to be Ranger Battalion, came over. He lit, he really, I mean, I was so young and so immature, but he really, you know, he was like tough, but he was like, I'm never gonna, he, he would never do any of that. He would never be in a position where he would just do something just to be sadistic. And it wasn't like a teaching moment, you know, or he wouldn't, you know, like be lazy like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's I, I, like a bunch has been written about it with like the officer core, right? Because it's like the military has to change how they basically reward these like cowardice ass kisser, like yes men who like, jump the, they, they like, no, they get promoted because they don't want to piss anybody off and they kiss the ass and, and, the, and the, you know, the, the junior officers that are like, and my lieutenant's great example. He's like, no, fuck you. That's stupid. You know, mm -hmm. they're not going to get promoted. Right. But it's, it's funny. Cause that's like the opposite of what it's supposed to be. You should be rewarding, you know, junior leaders for telling the chain of command for demonstrating chain of command that they don't give a fuck about getting promoted. They care more about their guys, you know, and we all know it. Right. But that's the, that's the one, those are the ones that get out. It should be the opposite, you know, it should be the opposite, but, you know, is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I personally, I guess just from my experiences, didn't meet a lot of good officers. My, my second platoon commander, he's a former enlisted guy. He's a Marine recon. So he's like, you know, real cool guy. He's like talking about his first deployment was to like Bosnia or Serbia, like the Balkans war. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I was 19, you know, like fresh out of recon school and they just gave me a claymore and a radio and they told me to like, go set up an OP in a house by myself. <laughs> and he's like, I put the claymore like, you know, at the top of a stairway and he's just like sitting there with his radio watching out the window to like, you know, call in tank movements. And he's like sitting there, he's like, what am I going to do if people come? Like, I guess I'm going to jump out this window into a tree and run away. Like, <laughs> where am I going to go? I don't know. Yeah. But so like, he was, you know, he's a great infantry officer. Cause he like, you know, he's like, I've stood post. Like, I understand what it is. Like, you know, yeah. trying, trying to like keep things even. But yeah. The vast majority of the officers I dealt with, I just feel like didn't give a shit. Like, don't really care. They're all careerists, you know, it's not, you're right. Something needs to be done. I don't know what it is, but like, certainly, certainly an issue. Yeah. 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 It, it, yeah. It's definitely something I, I noticed too. It's, which is like too bad. I mean, you, you got to change so many things to change that. I mean, I remember yeah. when I first got there, I remember my yeah. lieutenant that we had hadn't deployed yet. And he was always like telling stories about ranger school, you know, and then the, the guys that had already deployed on the initial invasion, you know, under their breath when he was listening to be like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Well, when I was in Iraq, 
you know, like, you know and he, he was like totally oblivious, you know, he just like thought that like, you know, he was more qualified or something. Like, that oh man i forgot about that that is like well when i was in iraq like any you know anyone who had done one or more deployments i feel like automatically like in the relative status of people you know you could just be like shipbird you know private third time award winner but you're like yeah i went to iraq twice and people would be like all right this guy's legit you know over some yeah. corporal or sergeant that's never been anywhere yeah 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 yep all right, so getting back on track here a little bit. So you did your first deployment southwest of Baghdad. For your second one, were you in the same area? Were you somewhere different? We were, uh, we were like, we were different. We were, we were more interior. So still, still kind of like village area, but, but less, less close to the Euphrates. I think we were like, we were, we operated out of Fob Kalsu for a while before pushing kind of north into these patrol bases. We were basically like, yeah, like 20 or 30 uh, clicks south to southeast of excuse me of Iskandaria. I know Iskandaria was like west to northwest of us. So we so basically like we were right out we were right off of, of Tampa of MSR Tampa. And so if if we drove MSR Tampa north for like an hour, we get to Baghdad. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just south of Baghdad. Okay. Did you did yeah. you go to the green zone at all? So my first deployment, we we at first for the first like two or three months, we operated out of. We operated out of by uh, out of the airport, which I guess technically is not the green zone, but it's like in that it's part of the massive massive compound. So, but then we pushed out the sector. The there was a couple times we would go onto the green zone to like get equipment or or like once or twice on R and R to go to like the massive like Walmart, you know, fucking fucking you know, Jesus, I forgot what what are our what are our shops called again? Like I a forgot PX. what our shop. Yeah, fucking PX. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, uh, but, and the second time too, like once or twice we drove up there to do it. Right. Go, go to the debt fact, get like some lobster tails or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the food on all those big bases was pretty wild. It was funny too, because like you'd see guys who are out like, you know, out in the bush, so to speak, like dirty, you know, ripped up, you know, camis, like scraggly looking, lost a bunch of weight. And then there'd be just like really like fat people walking around in uniforms on like the main bases, you know, eating steak and lobster tail and stuff. I remember that. I remember that. We, I remember after we had this like mass casualty and like, you know, some guys got back from the country. Some guys, we just went to the cash and we were just like, you know, got patched up, came back. We didn't have our weapons and we were trying to get into the DFAC and the, uh, the DFAC guard was like, you can't come in without your weapons. And we were like trying to argue with them about how like our weapons got blown to pieces. And then my, one of our sergeants was like, I'm going to kill you. I'm, I'm literally going to kill you if you don't let these guys in right now. So what are you going to do? And, he, and then the guy was just like, go on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, we, I had a similar thing in Afghanistan. I, we've been out like in the field for, it's like five and a half months. And like came back into like, still a pretty Spartan base, but there's still like an internet center, you know? And there's like the line out the door. And my guys just like, we all just walk up to the front of the line. We're like, you know, fuck you. Like I haven't touched a computer in almost six months. And this kid, he's not a kid. He was a Lieutenant. He's just like, Hey, you gotta wait your turn. And one of my guys just turned around and he's just like, what are you going to do about it? I walked inside, 
was like, that's right. Fucking E3 is like telling off lieutenants. Like it's a different, it's a different world when you're deployed. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So your second pump there, pretty much same stuff. Like a lot of, you know, like cord knock raids, vehicle checkpoints, or like any, any kind of different mission really. Second deployment was a lot different. It was, it was right during the kind of beginning middle part of the surge, you know, Patrice mm-hmm. is saying, and we had the Sunni uh, militias on our side. And so mm-hmm. it was a lot, it was a lot better in, in, in that respect. We did a lot more just kind of, <clears throat> we had a patrol base. We did a lot more like supervising and training of the uh, Iraqi army and the militias mm-hmm. doing these like, you know, joint missions with them where they just, you know, fire their weapon whenever they want it, <laughs> you know, fall down and start crying. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was definitely more of that. Sure. You know, those like British comedies where it's like, I don't know what it's called, but they like play the music. It's like, dun, 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 and it's like people running around yes. in circles like that. The Iraqi, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't do too much work with the, like the Iraqi army, but the Iraqi police reminded me that like a huge cluster of people just like running back and forth. And then like they come back across the screen and a dog is chasing them, you know, like, yep. that's what yep. I always thought working with them. I, yeah, I remember, I mean, you know, they, I mean, a lot of it was their like special operations units, but man, I mean, they, what they had left, like really pulled together and really were amazing, like driving ISIS out, but, and yeah. no 506. And then again, no 708. I mean, I just remember, you know, our mass cow, they became combat ineffective and they just, you know, cried. They couldn't do aid and, you know, they just on patrol, they're holding their weapon backwards, negligent mm-hmm. discharges, yeah. cleaning their weapons with fucking gasoline. You know, I remember... <laughs> I'll never forget this. My second tour, there was this huge, you know, mission, like clear this whole area, you know, like the fixed wings, like bombing it beforehand. And, and vast majority, the insurgents classic, like they're like, okay, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And so, but, you know, they want to make it a big show. So, you know, the Iraqi army is like walking in a line through this whole village. And we come across this, this home where obviously, you know, someone had been in, right? Cooking fire still going. And there's a motorcycle. And I, I think the motorcycle was like on or something like that. And this, this IA soldier just opens up on the motorcycle going cyclic with his AK, right? So it just starts firing it. And I grab him by like the, the front. I was a sergeant at the time and I'm just like yelling at him. And then the Iraqi captain, or like, no, no, then the, the, whoever the Iraqi officer was like yelling at me and the translator was like, he's saying like, you know, he outranks you. He's like ordering you to stop. And I, I got, it was like this huge, like we, we got in this like huge chat match. I was like, this flag outranks your dumb ass, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, but it was just like a moment where I'm just like, you can't, you know, I try to tell people, it's like, you can, you can throw all the money and all the equipment and all the hours at any group of people in this world that you want. You can't make them care and you can't give them, you can't buy heart, you know what I mean? And you yeah. can't get around the fact that like, you know, again, right, this was a fractured society before we fucking invaded it, right? It wasn't like one nation where Saddam goes and then they all want to fight for country. Tribe, right? Clan, tribe, you know? Like way more than this country right now. And so when we're pretending like we're just going to, you know, build up this fucking Iraqi army and every single one of them is going to be devoted to the new Iraq, you know, Mm. over their fucking tribe. My second tour too, I remember 
the uh, the Sunni militia came and was like protesting at our base, like you know, many months in. I was like, what the fuck's going on? And then and then uh, I was a captain, this radio guy for for a while. I think I still was then. So I I got like the inside scoop at that time. And what it was is like apparently the sheikh, who the head sheikh, who we've been like delivering money to, like pay your guys, here, pay your guys. He had just been he had just been pocketing it for like four or five months or some shit like that. Yeah, no problem. And so all the they're like going, oh, they're going crazy. They're like, where the fuck's our money? Where the fuck's our money? This dude yeah. in pocket. My my commander was like beside himself. I'm like, well, what the fuck do you expect? You know, like. I don't remember the job, like the money guy's job. I forget what, there's a word for it. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like the guys who yeah. give out cat, oh, dispersing, dispersing. Yeah. And just like, they would show up at our fob with like $5 million in like American $100 bills to like pay out to the different shakes, you know, to provide security and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's real money that you're talking about when they're like, they're not getting paid, like, it's a, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars that someone's just like yep. throwing in their pocket. Yep. Yeah. It's man, the, the amount, the amount, the stories like, you know, I mean, I never, I never carried around cash like everything, but the stories about the just carrying around pallets of cash, you know, mm-hmm. just. I'm sure there's more than a few Americans who are able to nick a little bit on the way back, but, oh, the, here's a question for you. So like, yeah, yeah. When you're, when you're coming home, you know, like both times I like, or like go in and out of Kuwait. I assume you guys did something kind of similar, like, yeah. you know, like fly from Baghdad to Kuwait on your way out, chill for a yep. little bit, then fly back, you know, back to your home base. Yeah. 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 Would, how, yeah. how thorough was like your checking to see if you were like bringing back war trophies or like, you know, hand grenades, like, yeah, yeah. how's I, that? If memory served, right. They, they couldn't check every bag and i i think my i remember mine getting like checked thoroughly i didn't have anything when we got to ship stuff back i remember this and when i shipped something back i accidentally had like some five five six rounds in the bottom of the thing Mm -hmm. and i got i remember this i got this letter it was so funny it was like 2006 and the letter was from like a like an ig like colonel or something and it was literally like you have violated the, the regs you're in big shit motherfucker you're in big shit and we could fucking <laughs> slam you we could slam you if we want we're not going to we could say it was like a 20 page ad like a report it was like here's the round in the x-ray here's the round in the x-ray i'm like yeah yeah that was my that was my master plan i'm gonna smuggle four rounds of 556 five, in a sock because i can't get ammo in the united states mm-hmm. and you got me you got me you know i but i <laughs> so funny. Right. i remember showing my team there it was like holy shit dude but we we had guys. They smuggled. They smuggled AKs back, disassembled. Guys smuggled daggers, fucking sword, you know, money, all that, all that shit. Mm-hmm. They couldn't. They couldn't catch them. It was just too. It was too. It was. It was. As as like the drug cartel going at the border, pretty much. You know. Yeah. 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 I remember some guys like the AK bayonets were a real hot item. You know, yep. like buy one off of a, an Iraqi police officer. I never brought anything back. I r- really wish I would have brought back some maps. I have like buddies who like, you know, kept their laminated patrol maps. Like, mm-hmm. I wish I had those. I wish I had too. Yeah. Cause the, yeah, you can't duplicate that. Right. Have um, some like nice MGRS grids on the wall. Like, yeah, that doesn't yeah. hurt anybody. Yeah. Seriously. Uh all right, man. You know, thanks. Thanks for chilling with me here. Is there, is yeah, there anything yeah. that you want to talk about? So yeah, we are making a uh, documentary called Meat Grinder. We have a YouTube channel. 
and a website, meetgrinder.doc. The idea for it, we feel, is pretty unique. The, the, we were cranking, we had a huge funding infusion, you know, we were filming, but the virus kind of put a stop to that. We're going to start again. The idea is to film combat vets um, of Iraq and Afghanistan from all the services, from, you know, every race, every gender, but, but the commonality is, is combat vets. And, and we asked them a lot of questions, asked them a series of questions, you know, everything from, you know, why did you join? What did you expect? What were you told and what did you expect about your deployment? What was your deployment like? Did it match your expectations? How do you feel about that? It, the reason we're making it is because we feel like that the amount of vets that may not be gung-ho proud of what they did, they may be angry, feel like they were a little betrayed by their leadership, by their military and civilian leadership, and feel like the, the media and the public and the culture don't get the real story we feel like it's a gap, you know, because the Pew Research Center came out with a poll like a year ago, showed that, what was it, 65% of us do not believe, 65 of the Iraq and Afghanistan vets don't think it was worth it, right? Didn't make a fucking blip. We feel like it's not a coincidence it didn't make a blip because hearing vets talk about, you know, I know that I didn't have anything to do defending your freedom. It's a lie. And you need to wake the fuck up ignorant populace, that's, that's something that we, we, we need more of. And so, you know, there've been, you know, documentaries and shows about, you know, combat vets and the combat experience. Right. And there've been some more like political anti-war documentaries, but we're not aware of one that really combines the two because they can't, the, the idea is that the message will be strong enough where it's like, you know, what are you going to say you know, and, and there's some anti-war documentaries and, and there's some in the anti-war movie. It's like, well, you're not a combat vet, you know, you, you, you didn't even deploy. Well, if we've got, you know, 25 vets of Iraq and Afghanistan from, you know, different years, different areas, and they're all saying the same thing, which so many of them are, I think that would be pretty powerful. So we're hoping to make it. And then, you know, obviously we use the, you know, a lot of the footage from them, stills, video, you know, news clips, stuff like that. One of the Filmmakers Tommy Furlong is also my my buddy. It was kind of our joint idea to do it. He's also a musician. He went to Berkeley. He likes to say he's the only Marine officer that probably ever went to Berkeley School. <laughs> but uh, so he'll do a lot of the soundtrack and you know plug it into the rest of it. And and yeah. So but we're always looking for you know vets to film. So there it is, the first episode of the Long War Interviews podcast. I want to thank Travis for coming on and talking to me. Make sure you check out his work at meetgrinderdoc.com. I'll add a link to that in the show notes for you. Also, if you want to be interviewed or you know someone who has an interesting story to tell about their time in the military, you can find us on Facebook at The Long War Interviews, or you can send an email to me uh, at chris at thelongwarinterviews.com. That's it for now. I'll see you on Friday for our next episode. Thanks for listening.